0: Which is it, Sweden or Switzerland? It's in Finland. Elliot, get something up on the net. What do you need? We think Helsinki might be in Finland.
1: Yeah, we think there's a pretty good chance. Good evening. From New York City, I'm Casey McCall alongside Dan Rydell. Those Stories Plus...
2: Welcome to the first episode of
0: Those Stories Plus. I'm Adam Amin. My name's Steve Semino. We are large fans of The show Sports Night. There you go. So our goal here is to kind of just relive and rewatch and discuss our favorite, or one of our favorite TV shows, the ABC Dramedy Sports Night that aired 1998 to 2000.
2: Now, recently, ABC re-released all of the episodes of Sports Night for streaming to watch, so we thought this was the perfect time to actually establish this podcast, and we're really excited to do it. Steve, you are
0: not only a fan of the show, but a teacher as well. I am indeed. And Adam, you are the perfect man for this job because your career is in sports broadcasting, working at ESPN.
2: I'm a play-by-play announcer for ESPN. We thought it, we could, if nothing else, bring a unique
0: perspective to this show. So if you've never seen the show before, you can uh, watch it streaming. There's DVDs out there. If you've seen it before and love it like we do, you can enjoy rewatching or just kind of remembering as far as it goes. But looking forward to bringing uh, some insight to these, these episodes. So, the pilot date, it aired on September 22nd, 1998, uh, written by, of course, Sorkin, and directed by Tommy Shalami, who's gonna come up a lot, I think, because the two of them together really kind of built that style that we're so used to. The the walk-and-talk style
2: that became so popular, and I'm I'm also a big West Wing fan. Uh... They, they kind of formulated it in Tommy Shalami, one of the best television directors oh, yeah. probably in, in the history of the mediums. So.
0: Won an award, although I didn't do enough research to tell you why, but won an award for direction for this episode. For this episode. So that tells you something. So the synopsis, uh, according to Wikipedia, is already at odds with the network over Casey's recent lack of professionalism. The team is struggling to get the go ahead to air a human interest feature on an African runner who's about to compete in his first major race since recovering from a potentially career-ending leg injury. Meanwhile, Natalie finds herself attracted to Jeremy, a nerdy but knowledgeable applicant for an opening in the production team.
2: So there's the first thing that I noticed was just uh, a lot of chaos at the start of the show uh, with the people in the control room and the anchors who are trying to write up their final notes on the show. Literally
0: my fourth bullet point says question for adam how does this compare to the start slash prep for a real life broadcast
2: so for a little bit of background i'm a play-by-play announcer so i don't do the exact same job that casey and dan do on this particular show but we are all in some semblance broadcasters of sports so and i have done certain things uh that are studio related so basically do hosting a, a studio show on the site of a game as pre and post game coverage so i've done things like this where you have to. Write out all your stuff for your highlights, and know the questions that you're going to ask for the for the partner that you have on set. Uh, you have to have interview questions ready to go, just in case a coach or a player comes in for, for the post game and stuff like that. So I've done some of this stuff before, and the hustle and bustle of that of that chaos between the person who's producing it, like in this case, it's obviously Felicity Huffman's character Dana. She's mm-hmm. the producer of Sports Night, the person who's in your ear and telling you what's coming up, what's coming next. Here's a note that you might need kind of running the show, the overall boss of the show, Uh, the people who are doing graphics. You're talking back to them, asking them for things to put up on screen. So the the chaos of this, already you can tell that Sorkin really did a good job of getting into a newsroom, getting into the show. You know, he followed uh, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann, Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly for for the inspiration for all of this, and, and it's very, very
0: accurate and well done. This cold open... Does and we were talking about this just earlier when we went to lunch before recording here. How this show now Sorkin kind of has oh it's a Sorkin show or it's a Sorkin movie where it's got that feel. We already mentioned walk and talks. It's got that rapid fire dialogue. It has a lot of references to things, and that's one of the things that I, as, as like a teenager watching the show, loved was that they would refer to things that not everybody necessarily knows about. Yeah. But everyone in the show does, and they just go with it and like oh yeah they make some obscure reference to an artist or something, and everyone's like, yep, and moving on. And so it makes you feel like you just get sucked in. It's not talking down to anybody.
2: I didn't know who Tippy Hedren was until I watched no. the show, and then I realized, <laughs> oh, it's a reference to the birds. Oh, yeah. To, to the it's Alfred getting dive-bombed
0: by the fly in a couple of yeah. episodes. But it does set the, sh- the scene for a career and full of shows. and full of. He had done plays and movies at this point, but into this, this foray into television writing where so much is happening. And there's five conversations going on at once, and you don't even necessarily know who all the people talking are. One of my notes, the who will eventually become uh, Dave, the seeming to be the director. He seems to run everything in there. It's like a bald guy with glasses in the pilot episode who's shouting out this and that. You're like, he never gets mentioned, never gets Uh, named. No, not at all. But like things are happening. You know, there's a lot going on, which is which is interesting. And the cold open sets that scene where you've got the you know we're moving through the set, we're moving through the control room, we're seeing all these people just doing their job. We don't quite know what all of them do. We don't know their names, we don't know who they are, but you already feel like these people know what they're doing and they know, and they're doing it well. Will, show me Denver. Mm. And I need 15 points of sound on Kansas City. Denver's up. Yes, it is, give me Green Bay. Stand by
1: audio, stand by VTR. Georgia Dome's hot.
0: You're hot Atlanta.
1: Somebody
2: Arrowhead, then back to mile high, is that how it goes? We're live here in 60 seconds. Somebody? Anybody?
1: What do you need? Just arrowhead. arrowhead
2: bounces a mile high. Thank you. Yeah, and you, and you when you come into an established area in television or a movie or whatever it is, when it's not a story told from the beginning, from the true beginning, these people have obviously known each other and worked together, you have to have that established right away, that all these people know what they're doing, right. this is their job, this is their role, this is what they do, and you learn those as you go on.
0: There's a certain element... Of trust, I assume, in something with so many moving parts where you need to know this guy's going to do his job. She's going to have that ready. This, you know, visual's going to be set. This sound cue's going to be ready. So I think this, this sets that up really well and gets us going. And in terms of plot in this cold open, very little. We don't get a lot. We just sort of get to feel, okay, we're in this, this busy newsroom. We've got things going on. We're 30 seconds to air. And really the only piece of information we find out is that Casey's recently divorced. Yes. It starts with him saying... Or Dan telling him he needs to get out of the house. And he says, I've been out of my house for six months. So in terms of getting to know who these guys are, we see they've got this kind of very close relationship where Dan's able to just tell him, you know, his, his feelings point blank. And Casey's recently divorced. That's literally all we get until the first commercial break. We just get that feeling. And you're set. This is going to be fast-paced. It's going to be gone. Which I think is, like, the perfect start to a show.
2: I should also mention this because mm-hmm. you get a shot of uh, Dan and... You know, a side view of it, mm-hmm. and you realize he's not wearing pants. This is a long disputed. argument. He's rocking argument. some basketball
0: shorts or something. This
2: is, a, this is a, I think it was just boxers. <laughs> I think this is a long disputed argument <laughs> among sportscasters and those who know sportscasters because that's a question I do get. Do you do you always wear pants? And the qu- the answer is not always. But the I th- I feel like now you as a sportscaster you can't wear you can't wear just like shorts under like uh, under the desk as much anymore because most shows now have like the revolving right. camera and we're going to show you standing up a lot and we're going to kind of roll around the, to the back of the back of the desk and give you kind of the the inside baseball look at all of it right. so you have to wear the full suit and you have to be wearing nice shoes unless you've been so far established and your show is basically only sitting at desk like let's say in around the horn or PTI right. you often see like the hosts. Rocking the full, you know, the the shirt and the coat and the tie and the nice pocket square, and then just basketball shorts and like Nikes. Right. So it's it's a yes and a no. Does that still happen? Yes and no. But I think it's more so no.
0: You're more fully clothed now than than you were able to be in the '90s. There you go. That's going to be an interesting thing to take note of as we go through the show too. Is changes. This was obviously heavily based. You had mentioned on SportsCenter at the time, which was a two-anchor show basically, yep. and they would go to the highlights. And at this point, um what, you, you the live broadcast and then a repeat later on and then show it again in the morning. Yeah. Whereas now, I feel like SportsCenter is on always. And it's like not even necessarily the same two anchors all day. No, it's it's, very,
2: it's it's live now much more often. Yes. The, the, the live hours, <laughs> the number of anchors, it's all so significantly s- higher. Just
0: seeing how it changed, how the format of this show was very, very accurate and loyal to what was the format of To Sports its time, Center. yeah, right. absolutely. Now, years later, like you said, we're, we're moving around. We've got different sets. It's not just, and now we're going to shoot out to the field Back to you, you know, like not a whole lot of that going on, which will be cool to see. Speaking of SportsCenter, as we think about this, uh, since this is the very first episode, I got a quote from Sorkin himself talking about how he got this show going. I guess he spent about 13 months holed up in a hotel writing the script for the movie The American President, and while he was there, he would watch Sports Night Sports Center every single day. Yeah. And said his quote was that it was the best written show on TV, and he was like obsessed with it from there. And he wanted to make a movie. He wanted to make a movie sort of like broadcast news, but at like an ESPN type network. Um, and basically, what's this is a cool. This is a direct quote from him. Now, this is from an uh, Entertainment Weekly piece about Sports Night, which is recent, actually. Uh, so he says, within 24 hours, he was marched into the office of an uh, ABC executive and said, "I can't really tell you anything about the show except it's going to take place at a cable sports network. If you're interested, you're just going to have to let me go away and write the pilot." And they did. So they just sort of. <laughs> he had that kind of uh, reputation, I guess, where they just trusted. Hey, this guy. He wrote does a few be, good men. Right. I feel like he's you got, should know what he's doing. Yeah, let him make the pilot, and so he does. He made. He just had a feeling. He said it was there to keep him company for 13 months. And so, as you mentioned, Overman and Dan Patrick, but then also heavily influenced by Kilborn, who I think was no longer. He was very briefly on Sports Center. Well,
2: he I mean, he was an anchor before he became uh, a he Comedy Central guy. Show, he, went, right? he became the host of The Daily Show when that first started up, and then obviously went to late night. And there, there is that transition that you know, that transition of doing so much writing. And a lot of it being funny, because Craig Kilborn was a very funny, yeah. more dry wit anchor. And that's that, that's what made SportsCenter so great in the 90s, was the you, you only had so many guys or women to watch, but everybody had kind of a different personality, and right. every team had a nice uh, rapport. So I remember Rich Eisen, who's uh, now at the NFL Network, and the late Stuart Scott were a really good team, and Dan and Keith were probably the epitome of all of this, Craig Kilborn. Charlie Steiner, Bob Lee, who's still doing great work now at ESPN. And Bob is is kind of the, the even-keeled, very jur- almost journalistic Jim McKay type of anchor who's very smart and, and very well structured. And then you have guys who are more that, that bring more levity. Alinda Cohen had, you know, was it was an East Coast woman who still brings that kind of attitude and, and smart, sharp wit to a broadcast. So I, I thought that was very interesting to see that. And mm-hmm. that that attitude of writing and trying to be funny, because a lot of these guys were. Were naturally funny, but you also had to deliver that in a way that an audience could could relate to. That was well suited for somebody like a Craig Kilborn to go over and do Comedy Central, right. and then do Late Night and things like that. And obviously, that's something that uh, comes up multiple times in Aaron Sorkin shows. In the Newsroom, it comes up with Will McAvoy's character, you know, being thought of as a late night guy. With mm-hmm. with in the within the first season, talking about a couple of the Sports Night guys getting a shot at maybe doing Late Night and things yeah. like that.
0: Well, that's definitely I think a case, Casey steals a lot from Kilborn's life, steals with, I did air quotes there, because he, at some point we find out, was offered Conan's show. He might have gone to do that, which then obviously Kilborn did. So he was, they're definitely pulling pieces. But I think that's an interesting point that you mentioned now, where the personality was as much a part of it as anything else. You were It's like a Carson, where you're bringing this person into your house. Yes. And in an episode or two even, Jeremy says something about how, if they want the scores, they can just read the paper in the morning. Like, you're bringing them something else. So Yes. So that's an, that's an important note. And you definitely, even as we're seeing the show within a show we even get to know their personalities and their feelings and the way they write and the jokes they make and kind of we get to see that from you know a third step back which is interesting
2: and I can tell you that a lot of the people I work with now who are anchors like they they want that they want to be able to connect with a fan because uh, and, and again I'll steal another Sorkinism from the newsroom we're not waiters you know serving you your meal exactly the way you like it. We're not computers just dispensing facts because facts don't mean anything without the context. So you're trying to marry all these things together to bring something to a fan. And whether you're an anchor or a reporter or a play-by-play announcer or an analyst or whatever, though those are the most important things. Give the facts, but give them context and be able to deliver them in a way that a fan can process and enjoy.
0: Well, let's jump back into what's going on action wise here. So we come back from that first commercial break after the, the cold open and Dan is rocking this hideously ugly but also kind of cool <laughs> leather jacket. And we get to see the newsroom itself as yes. he's walking around collecting money um, for some bets. And we get the first kind of main plot point, which is this discussion of a basketball player named Jason Grissom who went and beat somebody up, hit him with a bottle of Cavassier.
2: Or cognac. Or, <laughs> is
0: yeah, Kovacier is we cognac. is cognac. We get that joke. That's, we get Sorkin feeling right there. And this is infuriating to Casey, right, because he feels like, well... This is not sports. We're not reporting on sports if I'm talking about this athlete doing something stupid, right? Doing something out of line. And Casey, as we kind of touched on in that cold open, has not been himself lately. The divorce is taking a personal toll. He's got the, uh, a character later, JJ, I think will refer to it as, he's got the charisma and appeal of my high school, high school driving, driving instructor. instructor. So Casey's struggling a bit. And the show itself, ratings wise, is struggling a little bit. So they want to kind of push him to make some changes. So we go from the newsroom into this first meeting. The first season especially, part of what I think is cool about the show is it almost entirely takes place in like three areas. There's the office, Dan and Casey's office, there's the newsroom, and there's the studio. There's the studio, So we just see things in there and we'll get used to this this kind of conference room setting a lot too because we see a lot of those meetings.
2: It's almost like uh, I remember... A term maybe used called a bottle episode, where you're right. you're you're basically <clears throat> bottling the entire twenty minutes to forty minutes, whatever it may be, into just one or two restricted areas, right. and leaning on character development and writing to make sure that a f- that a person watching this kind of knows what's going on and is emotionally invested. Right. In it.
0: If you're doing 20, 23 episodes in just the spot, it's character driven. It's going to be what are they doing? Not necessarily ooh, where are they this week or or something like that. So we get into this meeting, and Casey sort of has has that little tête à tête. With JJ, who's his voice from the network, trying to make some changes. They're trying to push in for some ratings here and there. This will be a recurring theme really throughout the show, is that they remain doing okay. They're in third place. They're not really climbing, but they're staying where they should be. This was a time still, not pre-internet, but certainly pre-internet as we're used to it today, where there were tons of cable sports shows. They mentioned, obviously, sports centers going on. They mentioned Fox a lot. We had... Uh, CNNSI, SI which was I think that was a brief experience very brief experience but they yeah. everything was trying to get involved in this cable sports and here is this show um, which we find out from well we'll get to it a little later it's only been on the air a few years seems to be doing okay um, but they're struggling a little tiny bit and then we find out that uh, what really upsets JJ the network voice is that they're going to do a three minute 20 second feature on Antazaki Nelson which is a great name. Oh yeah, that's a a phenomenal. A, that's name. a good Sorkin touch too. Is every character? It's not like in, enters Joe. Most of these characters have these full names that are just like terrific, and they stick with you.
2: Alberto Fedrigati, I right. feel like, is a name that, that's going to pop up later on, which was a name used again in uh, the West Wing as yeah. well. I think a direct rip off keeping of, it of, keeping it uh, keeping it uh, in, in house the family. There yeah. For
0: him. So we find out uh, Antozaki Nelson was a South African distance runner. He was recently seems to be beaten by police or beaten by somebody. Uh, Broken legs, 41 years old, probably never going to run again, but he's going to run again tonight. His legs were broken and the doctor said he'd never walk without a cane. He's 41 years old and guess what he's doing tonight? It doesn't matter because I've already changed the channel. He's running in the World Pacific
1: Games, an event this network is carrying live tonight at 9.
0: And JJ says, can't we find a... Good-looking twenty-year-old American that we're, that's going to win instead of this guy. Why are we focusing on him? And of course, Dana's
2: line is just excellent.
1: The Ntozaki Nelson features promoting. Look, I am all for you guys spotlighting our other programming, but can't we find a good-looking twenty-two-year-old American who might actually win? Well, if you find him, send him over to my place.
2: <laughs> I, I know a lot of people make fun of the rapid-fire dialogue, but that's really—that's a really smart, funny line yes. that you'll get. You'll get so much more of. And if you are an Aaron Sorkin fan and you you start watching The West Wing or Studio Sixty or or the newsroom or the social network or any of anything else you'll see you're seeing the basis you're seeing the uh, kind of the original delivery of those sharp witty maybe a step above surface level lines that I think he was right. most known for and it's really I, I I that was one of the first lines I heard that I went oh that's <laughs> that's that's good I like this
0: that's the the jokes and it's strange we were we were talking about this off mic as well the laugh track which is only there half of the season really which was pressured the network made Sorkin put it in I don't think he wanted it there the sets for the show made it very difficult to film in front of a live audience because there's a lot of there are fourth walls as we're doing the walk and talks yeah, and everything so it seems so out of place and they're weird and you even mentioned one seems to be like cute a little early where it's like it, a chuckle at a it weird it, yeah it was, it
2: was the Corvassier cognac yes. back and forth <laughs> when, when they're discussing that and you hear the laugh track kind of almost insert over when Kim is responding Corvassier is cognac and like it's almost bur- it's almost buried under yes. the laugh track
1: a guy called him something he didn't like and Grissom hit him with a bottle
2: of cognac it was brandy, it was cognac, it was Corvassier. Corvassier is cognac and it was just so out of place and again I, I, I watched this show after I had seen the other you know a lot of other Sorkin dramas so I understood that you know, he's he writing for you. He's not writing for the audience right. the, that's in the studio, supposedly. He's writing for you, and you get to react to whatever it is that, that you hear in whatever way you want to react right. to. And I think most shows have figured that out now, you know, especially if you're going to be a dramedy. I think most shows have given you the luxury of, all right, you laugh whenever you want. Right. You feel however you want to instead of the audience going, ah and telling you that you're supposed to feel that way.
0: Right. That's the thing with... This show, and now it's much more common. Like the single camera shows usually don't have the laugh track, and those are the ones that are normally looked at as being a little bit quote unquote smarter. Or sure, and it's definitely that feeling of hey, you get from this what you want to get from this versus set up joke, set up joke. Yeah. There's not a lot of like, I mean, it, it does have, especially early on, some like oh, here's a slapstick moment, but it's very rarely like, like, uh, not, not to be knocking friends, I love friends, but like. Joey walks in, there's a setup from a straight character, and then Joey makes some silly comment. Like, you know that's coming. It's coming, yeah. And you get comfortable with it, but with this one, you really need to see what's going on, right? Each thing they say is going gonna, is gonna to infect itself somehow. So in this meeting, we kind of get to meet most of our key players. All of our studio folks are there, and then our big, our big characters. So we've already mentioned a million times, Dan and Casey. Dan's played by Josh Charles, who was, I, I show every year in my, my classes, Dead Poets Society. He's poking in there. And then most recently on The Good Wife, got two Emmy nominations for that. Uh, Peter Krause, which is one of my favorite names to say. And is, I didn't know how to say it until like five years ago. It's weird. I really my, didn't know. My brother still refuses to say Krause. <laughs> he calls him Krause. He just does. <laughs> but he uh, went on to extreme success with Six Feet Under after the show ended. And then most recently he was on Parenthood, Dirty mm-hmm. Sexy Money. Now he's on that show, The Catch. Um, Dana Whitaker, Felicity Huffman. She probably, uh, maybe the brightest star from here as she went forward. Um, Desperate Housewives was enormous she got an Oscar nomination for Transamerica she's most recently been on American Crime she got an Emmy for that so she's had a, a huge successful career married to of course uh, Bill Macy she's good old, part good of old H. Muffman William H.
2: Muffman which uh, to this day might be the best Hollywood couple name ever and of course in the second season you'll actually get to see yeah. William H Macy on screen, and they have a little bit of an affair, a yeah. love affair at
0: one point. Then we've got uh, Natalie Hurley, played by Sabrina Lloyd, who I, for one, had a major crush, Huge on, crush on her as a younger but. But and I'm now rewatching these episodes, I kind of find myself drawn to Dana a little bit more. I don't know why. <laughs> is it just because, because you're older? I think and because you see I'm older, the, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm like, hey, this is a this is a, a strong, strong business yeah, exactly. right? I know what's going on. So uh, Sabrina Lloyd was also on Sliders, which was another one of those. I think she was only on it briefly. She might have only been on a season It still
2: feels like a quintessential 90s show. I really (laughs) enjoyed that show for a while.
0: And then uh, Robert Guillaume, who's Isaac Jaffe. Phenomenal. He's kind of in charge. He started the show. He's the managing editor. Uh, He was a huge TV star in the 70s, 80s, I think, with Benson and Soap. He's Rafiki in The Lion King. Uh, He's had a 50-year career on TV and stage, and he himself has two Emmy Awards and a Tony Award as well.
2: And he's got a tremendous voice, and it sounds like a voice of of somebody authoritative. Now, what a lot of people don't know, and again, when you work at ESPN, you learn this, is for a long time, uh, there was this super scout of talent named Al Jaffe, and he's since retired. He's still still a huge name in the sports media business, but Al Jaffe was the scout of scouts when it came to finding people to put on television, and for ESPN, he worked forever, and he was the one who found a lot of the names that you guys know now uh, from the 90s and the 2000s. Those are the people found by Al Jaffe, so I just thought that was a great connection and, of course, when you work there, you, you, you learn a lot about the history of the network, and that's one of the big names that always sticks out.
0: There you go. So they have this uh, argument with J.J., uh, whose name is, I want to say, Robert Milhouse. He's a, he shows up on Seinfeld here and there. He's yep. a character actor who pops in. Um, he's kind of a character you love to hate. He's very kind of snide, but later on you get to see, hey, he's kind of just, he's a middleman, and no one's yes. going to like the middleman. Um, but J.J., obviously, after Casey gives him a little... A little uh, fight and says, Dan and I have worked together in the third and fifth largest markets and have won awards, right? So we get a little background. They've been a team for a while. Dan expresses the fact that he has no desire to do the show with anybody but Casey. Um, and we find Isaac already having this very protecting, he's got the line, don't take me on, he says to JJ. You just know he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he's going to be intense.
1: You've got a very big future at this network. Dan. My future is writing and anchoring a sports program with my partner, Casey McCall. Now, if it's here, it's here. If it's not, it is someplace else. For right now, I'm gonna forget this conversation ever took place. I really gotta admire the way you men handled my staff this morning, JJ. Look, Isaac, I have a Look, specific Don't take me on. The network's not gonna wait forever.
0: So that wraps up another uh, little act break there as we go into commercial. The soundtrack—I have a note here that says Snuffy's soundtrack is awesome, <laughs> and it is. I don't know a WG, WG Snuffy, Snuffy Walden. Walden. He does like all the uh, Sorkin shows soundtracks and just little kind of things here, even the little stingers in and out of commercials. Something about them just makes me smile. They're just—they're just solid. They're
2: just super sharp and like like be kind of jazzy almost. If you've never seen. W.G. Snuffy Walden. I highly suggest Googling him and just taking a look at some of the early photos. Let me me take a peek at this There's an early photo of him where he has has a grizzled grizzled Yanni (laughs) look. I think grizzled Yanni is what I would describe W.G. Snuffy Walden as, but he is a tremendous composer of music for movie and television.
0: Oh, man. So we go to commercial, we come back, and uh, we have got an introduction to, if not my favorite, definitely top two characters on the show, Jeremy Goodwin. Uh, Josh Molina, as he's sitting out there waiting for an interview. Uh, very nervous. And this is another one. This is the pilot, right? This is the beginning. Jeremy in this episode, not the Jeremy we're going to see no, next week. No, not at all. Yes. He's very kind of neurotic. He's very nervous. Uh, he sees He's much drier as things go on. But again, it's the first episode. We're just kind of getting a feel for him. And he is sitting... Uh, I have him say I have him he's an even more neurotic Woody Allen is what I've got my yes. name as being
1: this is Dana Whitaker we've met yes you have an impressive resume let me ask you some questions you
0: look nervous I'm okay would you like a glass of water uh no thank you Jeremy's a an interesting character to talk about too because we'll get little bits of information about him early on where he used to work but it's so strange he's a weather nerd we know that right off the bat he's talking about weather that'll come up again later on he knows all these random facts. In the next episode, I think he knows that play call immediately. Sure. He's like super sports nerd, but what, what, did, what did he do before? Yes. Seemingly he worked for like newspapers or was he just the guy digging through numbers and stuff? Like he's a very interesting character. How did he end up this way is something I, I'm curious about. But his interview begins, he's sitting down right away with Dana and Natalie. He's nervous as all get out. Uh, there's this. This is one of those scenes that's played for comedy it's a very funny scene yes and and it's and it's
2: been established in the prior scene that natalie thinks she's very he's very she might have feelings she might have feelings for him that that that's already been established that plays a role in this as well and dana's already heard that so she's trying to make sure that everybody stays on the same page oh yeah and maybe the the the, uh, another one of those kind of rapid fire deliveries we hear that in the conversation between dana natalie and jeremy
1: What are your favorite sports?
2: Uh, beg your pardon?
1: Where are you strongest? Oh, football. Great. Let's talk about basketball.
2: I said football.
0: I heard you. Let's talk about basketball. Uh, we can talk about baseball or
1: hockey. Oh, you're pretty strong in baseball and hockey, are you? Not as strong as football, but... Let's talk about the Knicks.
0: I walked right into that one, didn't I? Well, I left the door wide open for you. Shot of bourbon? Please. Sit. I'm sorry, that was harsh. I hurt your feelings. So, Josh Molina, just quick notes about him. Uh, the character, this was interesting, too, because as I was looking in more depth at these, like, he's, Jeremy's job is associate producer and research analyst. Yes. So, he's like, he is a numbers guy. That's what he's there yes, for. Yes, he's there to research As things it seems it. later on, too, he's not great at editing together a highlight. He's not great at that, but he knows everything, which is which is great. Uh, so, Molina was on The West Wing, of course. He's, he comes up as Will Bailey, I think, season... Season four Four of West Wing, and then most recently he's on Scandal right now, so he's still doing well on TV. He is a friend of Sorkin's; they're old poker buddies, uh, I believe. And he, I think, originally auditioned for Dan, but I'm glad that they. I could see him. I can't picture him being a Dan, but he's so perfect as a Jeremy. He's very. And as I said, he's if not my favorite, my second favorite. So he's like the perfect person to be this he brings him to life so and, well
2: and isn't that how we kind of judge characters on shows where yeah and, and again even after it might take a while but we think man i can't picture anybody right. else playing that character i feel like that's the biggest compliment you can give to an actor
0: so his interview basically consists of what's your favorite sport and then they turn him into a sport he's not so good at so sure. they're gonna talk, make him talk about basketball this is a scene played for last and it is funny where what's his interview question what are three things the knicks need to do to either win the championship or, or make the playoffs and He's flustered. He has to think about it. I've crunched stats, I've broken down film, and there wasn't a team at my high school that didn't have me for an equipment manager. I have read every box score in every newspaper that's printed in English and has a sports section, and I have seen Sports Night every night since your first broadcast, two years, two months, and a week ago today. Now, yes, sure, indeed. I can tell you what Ewing and Oakley are shooting from the field, and that you're not gonna stop John Starks if he squares up to the basket, and put any defensive pressure on Charlie Ward, he's gonna fold like a cheap card table. But if you're asking me for genuinely sophisticated analysis, and I sense that you are you've got to give me some time at least 20 minutes
2: if the laugh track belongs anywhere it's in this particular right.
0: scene that's so deliberately slapstick and there's no if you're watching this you're going to laugh you're going like to, to laugh it's there. Yeah, like that's yeah. built in so it's this fits because it's and there's that nice kind of pause for laughter once or twice for, so this feels like hey, these are jokes, this is yes. something to laugh at. So I feel like this was maybe maybe Sorkin just injecting a little more of that classic sitcom feeling into it, at least sure. for this, this one segment. Um, and again, the laugh track, I have a note here that Dana shuts down Natalie when she's trying to get him uh, a shot of bourbon, I think. And she says, sorry, that was harsh. And the laugh track really kicks in. I'm like, it's funny, yeah. but that wasn't really a, a laugh line. That wasn't a button there. But it, it is a funny scene, of course, ending with improve their free throw percentage. Yes. Run the floor. Okay, one more. Tell Spike Lee to sit down and shut up. Excellent. Oh, welcome to sports night. So it's so perfect. And that's one of my favorite 3430s too is uh, with Reggie Miller. Reggie, Miller, Reggie yeah. Miller. versus the Knicks, which is great. And there's so much about Spike Lee being there on the sidelines just shouting. Winning time is the, the title of that 30. For 30 there you if go. Ever, if you haven't seen it,
2: I i, I've, I have that uh, in my collection. And I'm a huge fan of that one. Just because and you and I both grew up in the 90s, Chicago oh, yeah. Bulls era. So we saw a lot of Reggie Miller and how much of a pain he could be. To the Bulls, but uh, one of the best thirty for thirties uh, from the or-
0: original run, there I would say. And also thinking about Reggie Miller, some more Seinfeld is. These are probably my two favorite shows: Seinfeld and Sports Night. And Reggie Miller comes up, and Spike Lee, and Spike Lee, Lee comes Kramer. up the both, Yeah, <laughs> Kramer gets in a fight with all of them, and they go to a <laughs> strip club afterwards. Cheryl Miller's brother? I didn't know he played
2: <laughs> basketball. Which is so. again, Cheryl, the the one of the lines that, or one of the parts of that thirty for thirty is New York fans making fun of Reggie Miller by chanting Cheryl right. <laughs> Cheryl and
0: of course Cheryl Miller was one of the greatest women's basketball players ever so that's just it's it's just I love seeing connections between my favorite things like that <laughs> so Jeremy gets the job he gets a high five does this nice little fist pump and we fade into our, our last act as it is show night it seems to be a little uh, actually I've got the exact time it's gotta be about 1045 because they're on the air in 12 minutes they go on 11 to midnight um, they're still working on scripts. This was a question I wanted for you as well here. Now, this is studio. You mentioned the difference between kind of live broadcast in a booth versus a studio or being on a satellite studio. Dan and Casey are going word for word on this script because they even tweak it because the rhyme, you don't want the rhyme. Do your scripts on a, on a case-to-case basis like this, is it more outlines or is it more this is exactly what I'm going to be saying? Or is it more common for a studio show to be, hey, we're going to have a prompt or yes, something?
2: Yes, yeah. So it's much more common for a studio show like like a sports center to do this. Now, I'll say this too, and it has changed over the years, But and you'll hear this reference as the series goes on, but shot sheets. So some anchors will get a shot sheet, which is basically a three- to four-column sheet, and the first column will kind of give you one detail about it. The second column will have the detail of the play that's currently on screen. The third column might be the result of that play, and then the new score or the new time or whatever it may be. So it's a really detailed thing. A lot of the interns... Will do this, or PAs, production assistants will do this. They'll kind of type out shot sheets. Uh, they can be difficult to deal with sometimes if you don't know the team or the sport. If there's a pronunciation, if you're doing a hockey highlight uh-huh. of, uh, or a soccer highlight, especially nowadays, it's pretty difficult. I have a lot of anchor friends who will like post photos on Instagram of their shot sheets, and it's all. I always think it's fascinating. I've seen some of
0: some of yours. When I see you kind of do the same with your highlighting and your notes and this, and I yeah. see that like, oh my God, and like, it's, how, do you and how
2: do you make sense of all of these pieces of information that are in front of you? Now, the writing of the shows, when you do lead-ins, when you uh, try to give context to things, a lot of when you're doing highlights themselves, it's just jotting down a note or, uh, hey, I saw, the, I saw this historical fact, or Bryce Harper went four or five. It's his first four-hit game of the season or whatever. You want to throw that into your notes, and you'll kind of add that or tag that whenever you feel like it. But when it's a lead-in to a highlight or you're leading into maybe a feature story or you have an editorial that you're doing, those are very carefully written. And that's when you really make, I think, your bones as an anchor. Obviously, you can do the, the fun catchphrases or bring your personality out in highlights. But the, I, my favorite anchors are the ones who write really, really good leads and mm-hmm. good uh, introductions and good, good intros into features. I think those are the best anchors, the ones that can make you care about a story that maybe you had no idea about. And they're able to bring you into something like that. So those are very carefully written by all the anchors that that I know and even the ones that I don't. I'm sure they put a lot of effort into those. But when it comes to doing highlights, it's a little bit more off the cuff. You have, you know, beginning, action, result, ending, go to the next highlight. And you can kind of put in your own flair mm-hmm. to those as you go along.
0: So they're working out their script. This is where we get a little... Uh... A little face to face between Dan and Casey, arguing because Dan's kind of confronting him. Hey, you've been struggling. You got to step it up. Casey's saying, "I think I'm gonna. I think I'm done. I think I'm calling it here," which is upsetting. Um, Dan gives him, you know, why are you gonna or how long are you leaving the show for? He goes, "No, I'm leaving it for good. Like yeah. I want to get out of here." Um, and they get it going, and we hear Casey's perspective, which is a a good perspective, a fair, uh, a
2: very fair perspective. He yep. goes
0: on to say he's fed up with quote unquote sports. Right, he's a PR man for punks and thugs. Where a lot of these stories they've been doing seem to be not about the sports but about kind of the dumb things that these athletes are doing but first
1: this sacramento power forward jason grissom was released by a judge in houston this morning after posting a five thousand dollar bond which by the way he paid in cash he happened to have in his pocket so jason grissom's a jackass you know jason grissom look i got into this because i like getting people to like sports and i've turned into a pr man for punks and thugs Now, any atrocity no matter how ridiculous or hideous or childish, it doesn't matter. I make it sports. Ten-cent bag man whacks a skater's leg with a crowbar, that's sports. Second round draft pick gets cranked at a Houston bar and that's sports. And let's not forget the mother of all great sports stories, a double homicide in Brentwood.
0: He makes reference to the fact that he's got this seven-year-old son, right? He was married for 10 years with Lisa, who Dan describes as being an angry, unhappy, punishing woman, which is an interesting uh, backstory. But We don't hear a lot about Lisa. We hear her thrown around a lot. But for 10 years, he was married to her. They've got the seven-year-old uh, son. And Casey says, I have a seven-year-old son that I get to see on Wednesdays and alternate weekends. And these are his heroes.
1: And now six days a week, they're also his male role models. Oh, quitting your job ought to do the trick. Look, Danny, I know I'm leaving an no, alert. I mean lurch, it. You should definitely quit your job, because that way, sports will be good again. Yeah. Also,
0: your wife shall take you back. And you could be a role model for your son. Knowing, as we do, how, how women and children, you know, admire the bitter and the unemployed. Are you mental? Dan really lets him have it, and he's continuing to let him have it uh, as Kim walks in and says, guys, you have to see something. What's going on that Kim wants them to see? That time no. can't be right. Never Danny, Danny, any Danny, anywhere in Danny can that time be right? Absolutely crazy. With 900
2: meters left, at 41 years old, Ntozaki Nelson is on a pace to absolutely shatter the world record. Go
0: ahead, I'm Is he going to do this? Look like he's planning, planning on slowing down. They all run in. The newsroom is just full of everybody watching the TV, and Ntozaki Nelson is... Cruising, he's really running. So we get this nice boom, Casey's faith in sports has been revitalized. Something good is happening and it's a sports story.
2: Right? Yeah, and, and, he run, and he runs to the phone and he, and he wants to call. The, the, the scene, it, it's so, it could be taken so cheesy and so formulaically almost, but it's really well delivered. Charlie, it, it, it's Dad. Hey, uh, did you finish all your
1: homework? Good, turn on your TV. Turn to my channel, I want you to watch this. This guy's name is Ntozaki Nelson. Now, I'll call you tomorrow, I'll tell you all about him, but for now, you just watch him run. He's not doing much. He's just running faster than any man's ever run before. Look, I'm going to be on the air in about 12 minutes. And if mom says it's okay, you can watch the beginning of the show. But then I'm going to give you this special signal, that means you got to turn off your TV and go to sleep.
2: Yeah, I love you too, Charlie. It does hit you, because you've seen for... You know, 18 minutes to this point, just the struggle that Casey is going through and how upset and how jaded he feels. And it's, it is so easy for, for those of us who have to be around a lot of these athletes, like I call National Football League games and I have to call games where I know that the guy has a record of something, whether it's domestic abuse or mm-hmm. a, a sexual assault charge or a drug issue, or he's done something that, that just isn't right. And he's allowed to play football because you know, whatever it may be, whatever reason it is, he's gone, he's paid his dues, whatever it may be. And the the strangest part and the hardest part, I think, for somebody in my position, and this is where we don't have the bully pulpit, that columnists or opinionators, uh, someone call them bloviators, <laughs> uh, the, 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 I don't have that as a play-by-play announcer. My job is not to editorialize what's going on in front of me. My job is to, I'll deliver the facts, I'll say what's happened, but... You know, I call a Mets game now, and Jose Reyes, who threw his wife into a glass door mm-hmm. in Hawaii while on vacation in October, we now have to talk about that. Maybe give the facts of the case, and then refocus our attention to how does he help or hurt the Mets, right. and. You know, while we can get into the the discussion of, well, the fans are, are into this, but that, that almost gets into the point of editorializing about it. And that's not our job. And whatever we feel personally about that stuff, we just cannot... We, we have to try our hardest not to dive into uh, whether it's right or it's wrong for the Mets to bring him back or right. whatever. Just as an example with Reyes, uh, it's hard to do that. Trying it to is stay hard as to.
0: objective as possible. And yes. Just, well, this is what's happening now on the field, but even though... Yeah, that's, I think part of Casey's good point is that there's baggage with these guys. And like you said, it's there. You can't ignore it. You acknowledge it, but you try not to make it the, the crux of the story or yep. what's going on in the moment. So um, Casey goes, he calls his son, calls Charlie, and tells him, turn on the TV, watch this, because it's amazing. Like, he's running faster than any man has ever run, so it kind of re- reinvigorates Casey into the game. He's inspired. Uh, we throw them to the studio. We're going to do a 15-second promo, so Casey's amped. He's going to do this. He's ready, and he gives a great, exciting... Uh, what's the line it says? And Jazaki Nelson's got something to say about a world record. He's, he's all fired up, and everyone kind of has that smile of relief. Um, there's that great high five between Dan and Casey that I used to have a gif of that floating around. And it was like my <laughs> that's, go-to. If something that's good That's the go to it out. You're, you're, it you're texting that. Solid, like, I expect you to text that, that I, I'll to find me. Con- when any, Anytime
2: anything good happens, I expect you to text oh, that yeah. to me.
0: And then in the closing moments of this episode, we get uh, kind of the beginning of the Sa- Sam Diane. Relationship between Casey and Dana as he gives her a kiss on the cheek. She's been fighting for him. Uh, Dan described it as fighting off the network with a whip and a chair. Right. Yep. She's been really stepping up to keep Casey there because they've worked together for a long time. She understands his personal struggles, um, and so he gives her this kiss on the cheek to show, hey, I appreciate you doing this to me, and now, you know, I'm back. We're ready to go. And we get this great and this happens a lot on the show too, where it's not just like, oh, there's your stinger, there's your last joke, and we're going to commercial. As we start to pull back over the studio. Uh, everyone's starting to mill about. We get Dan and Casey talking about rugby.
1: You know what? Here's something I don't understand about rugby. Oh,
0: you do understand something about rugby?
1: I've played rugby, all right? Now I want to ask you wait, a wait, question. Wait, when have you played rugby? When I was in college, I played.
0: Co-ed rugby. I'll just... You did not play rugby. I played rugby and just this funny conversation about, I played Coed Rogue Bean, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's still happening. So you get a sense that these are characters. It's not like you're watching a play, the curtain closed and the action stopped. They're gonna, they're still friends. They're still gonna have these conversations. So it's a nice way to just make you think, hey, this world still goes and it's gonna be there when it comes back. So that's, that's a nice setup. And you get this, I think overall, a very strong pilot. You get to meet these great characters. You get a lot about their personalities and how they connect to each other. You get a lot of kind of, uh, almost I mean I think more recently Sorkin's a lot more heavy-handed with his opinions sure on certain shows the newsroom in particular was very heavy-handed with a lot of his political arguments from time to time um, but he got to inject his little thoughts about kind of the sports culture or the the phenomenon of these personalities. So you get a little bit of seriousness, you get those laughs you get Jeremy falling down slapstick again and kind of keeping the comedy going in the and the end of this one. but I think it's a great setup for what will be another 44 episodes of a really solid entertaining television
2: I think it's hard to in 20 minutes to try to introduce so much and I don't know if it's because I've watched the series a handful of times so I already feel like I know these characters pretty well but it's it's hard to in 22 minutes try to establish seven people maybe even more than that in these small little vignettes and conversations and who do you establish more and obviously you're focusing this on Dan Casey and then by maybe a second margin Dana as well but you're trying to establish all of these characters and all of their personalities and what makes them tick in some capacity. And you know there's going to be you know more episodes to do this, 20-some-odd more episodes to get into this, but it's cool to see him spread the wealth out to a bunch of different people and you feel like you have investment in just about everybody that gets uh, a good chunk of airtime in this.
0: Oh, yeah. So strong pilot, 22 minutes Agreed, of good TV yeah. with with good introductions and definitely makes me want to... Watch the rest again.
2: And I think uh, we're excited to try to do this again and keep bringing you
0: another episode of These Stories Plus. So stick around. We'll be back next time with, uh, I'll call it the first episode proper, episode two, The Apology. Uh, And uh, we'll bring it to you soon. So thanks a lot.
2: Thanks for listening.